You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is made possible by Fidelity Investments. Together, we're encouraging you to always be in the front seat when it comes to your money. Discover how at fidelity.com slash front seat. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Her Money. Hope you all are having a good week. I have been looking forward to this interview because we are taking a deeper dive into the gig economy and talking about how it can provide all of us with a little more financial independence. And we are doing it with a woman that I know you've heard of. She is the brains behind Stella and Dot Family Brands. She is the founder and CEO, Jessica Heron. And I know you know Stella and Dot. You probably wear Stella and Dot. It is the online and offline social selling company that has jewelry and accessories. Jessica is also the author of Find Your Extraordinary, Dream Bigger, Live Happier, and Achieve Success on Your Own Terms. And she is here in the studio with me, fresh off the plane from London. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Jean. I'm excited to be here. We're glad to have you. So I made the mistake of starting a very interesting conversation with Jessica before the microphones were turned on. I had a producer early in my radio career who used to yell at me, save it for the air, save it for the air. And that's exactly what I felt like. And you were telling me why you feel so passionate about all of these Stella and Dot sales people, consultants who are forging their own way to financial independence. Well, Jean, first of all, I'm excited to be here, and I feel very value-aligned with you in terms of how important it is for women to be financially independent because money can't buy you happiness, but it can buy you choices, and the choices you make can lead to happiness. Amen. needs to be on your own terms. And so I started this business you know about 10 years ago all mission driven with the idea of reinventing what flexible income could look like for women being integrity driven around product and using technology to make it you know higher pay per hour and all those things and I when I started I knew I was an entrepreneur going through my own life challenges of a uh, having done a different business as a startup that um, I enjoyed but it didn't give me any balance in my own life. I wanted to become a mother in addition to being a a business leader. And I knew there had to be different terms in a different way. And so that was the path of starting Stellandot and and, uh, making it be a way forward for women to create extra income in their life. But now that I'm 10 years later, I can look back and totally understand what was the root of my motivation. Um, I grew up uh, raised by my dad, who was a single dad. But my mother was someone who you know, got pregnant as a teenager and always felt trapped by her choices. And no doubt many of them were driven by her feeling that without an education, without um, financial independence, she was doing things different than what she wanted. And that really impacted the people around them. And um, I've learned to see a lot of gifts in that. I no doubt I'm as independent and resilient as I am because of going through that. But for me, it's just realizing that you've got to 
you've got to give a woman a way forward. So I had my first job when I was 15 because I always said to myself, "Not that's not happening to me. Yep. And I've always been very fierce about that ever since. And Stella and Dot really is all about giving women the opportunity to make money on their own time and on their own terms. So when you transitioned out mm-hmm. of the first startup and into this one, how did you shape it knowing that financial choices for women were what you wanted to deliver? Well, I was actually still at Wedding Channel, which was my first business, and I stumbled into this conference that was an old school direct seller, and I was struck by a couple of things. One, how happy some of these women were. It was you know in a, a, a top awards dinner, so these were people who had been successful, and they were telling me about how proud they were, and I could just feel in that instant that this had paid mortgages, it had gotten them out of bad marriages, it had put kids through college, it had been the on-ramp for this generation of women in the workforce. And that felt like important work. Mm -hmm. Yet at the same time, I also had a lot of perceptions about this industry that were negative. And I couldn't imagine a modern woman picking that same path. And so I had to really, I just became curious, ultimately obsessed with figuring out how could I feel such conflicting things? And if I were to do another company and I wanted to be purpose-driven, was there something here? And so as I dug into, you know, the traditional home-based businesses, I realized there were some major pitfalls that earned that industry a bad reputation for good reason. And, but they were things that could be fixed. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, what were the pitfalls of direct selling, multi-channel marketing, and how have you structured your company mm-hmm. to be different. Well, yeah, I don't even love those words because I, I associate them, like a lot of people, with these differences. And when I first went to the sales conference to learn everything about direct selling, I actually came away kind of horrified because it's supposed to be about helping people earn flexible income, but you felt like that wasn't really the intent of a lot of the male executives that were, in theory, there to help women work flexibly. But they just didn't talk about them with this understanding that these are professional women that want more flexibility. They're educated. They are capable and that you really wanted a foolproof business plan that had low risk but was going to put profits in the pocket, not inventory in the closet. Yes. And that was the number one thing I first said is like, one, this is to be something I'm proud of and and customer worthy and retail brand worthy. So it was about first saying, how do we lead with authenticity in the product and find an area that is a large market opportunity that you could really disrupt and create better value for the customer so that women didn't have to be trained salespeople to do it. They could be confident and passionate, you know, ambassadors for the product. So one, it was like knowledge that you had to lead with the customer. Two, how do you use technology to make it more efficient and on the go? Because this woman is 80% of them have other full-time or part-time jobs outside the home. They either have before kids, young kids, or after kids, but they're all busy. They all want to work largely on the go, not from home. They're on their phones and and using technology. And then there's the profit part, right, the profit-boosting program. So traditionally, these businesses have been about where you can earn incentives by purchasing and being your own best customer. We started from day one saying, that is not, you can't do that. So we ship direct to customers. We offer ways to get free shipping, free returns. So there's just zero gotchas. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no way she can have a closet full of inventory. And uh, she can earn free things based on her sales. So, so the product discount is a lure for a lot of people. But we make sure that if you're selling, you're earning it. And that way, what you, you know, you sell and earn in commission, you keep 
What do you find your salespeople, your reps, your what you call them? Well, we have three. We have right? three brands. So we have Stella and Dot uh, Fashion and Accessories, which is launching apparel on top of accessories. Keep Collective, which is a meaning-based charm jewelry line, and then Ever Skincare and Makeup. And so they're called different things: stylists, designers, and specialists. Okay, let's talk stylists. Yes, right for Stella and Dot. What do you find they? do with the money when they get mm. it? And what opportunities do you find they are missing? Well, that this, one, my favorite part of this job is not that we're about to celebrate 10 years of impact. 500 million in commission has been paid. We don't see that as a large macro number. We see it as 500 million choices that were able to be made because that woman took efforts to make her own life better by being able to the chance to say yes to something because she didn't have to say can't afford it. She can say, hmm, how do, what do I sell to earn to do that? It is summer camp. It is getting out of debt. It is school tuition. It is a kitchen remodel. Mm-hmm. It is fertility treatment. We have a lot of fertility people doing things like that. And I love that, right? It is the ultimate. And I think from an economy standpoint, it really stimulates the local economy because she's largely getting that money in and then spending it within her community on extras, things that she might have said no to. A lot of people save up. They pay for family adventure and experiences and vacations, splurges that they might otherwise feel guilty about. And our different brands serve women in different income demographics. So there's certain people who are you know, with this extra money, they're going to Target without a calculator, right? Right. Without the and or without an approval process, right? And they can just get themselves a little something without guilt or stress. And for other women, it's you know the dream adventure for themselves or one of their children or occupational therapy. You know, it's really every story in between. But it's those little stories that make me. It's my biggest paycheck is knowing that that's what they're doing with it. When you see them taking the step from this is a side hustle to this is something that I want to do with my life. What what clicks there? What's the mm-hmm. what what makes this into a business for somebody rather than a little extra money? Well, you know, for the vast majority it's a little extra money because they don't want to spend more than a little time doing it, right? So so lots of people though the thing is $500 a month can be life-changing. For a lot Huge. of people, right? Huge. Because I mean, it's a difference in- between we can go to this place or you can go to this experience or not. I once had a mother tell me that, you know, this year, because I keep collective, I don't have to pick which son gets to go to basketball camp. Wow. I know, and right now that's only $1,000, but that's a big deal. I can't imagine, you know. So that's that to me is a lot of people. It's pretty significant. And it's a real business. Just because it's part-time doesn't mean that it's not a real business for them. And it also develops their skills, oftentimes, that translate into their other job. And I'm really proud of that, too, because I think people earn in ways more than money. They're saving because they're, you know, getting a product this way versus paying full price. They're learning and growing, which is benefiting them and people around them. And then they're they're also earning cash. But the switch I see for people who really do this full time is what they really like is they're entrepreneurial. They say, I want to call the shots. I want to be my own boss. And I like other people and I want to help them. I want to help them find the joy I found. I want to help them push beyond their own self-doubt. I want to share what I'm doing. And and they are able to do it. And I have to tell you, their full-time gig looks amazing in Ever Skincare. A top leader there who makes a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, she just left her job as an OBGYN. She still wow. does it doing mission work because, of course, she loves being a doctor and doing what she does, but she doesn't love getting up in the middle of the night, her 20th year in, and working in managed healthcare. Yeah. So, And she's the mom of two teenage girls. She wants to be around for them, and you know, she needs different flexibility in her family for different reasons. And so it's amazing when people make that switch. It's generally that simple reason that drives entrepreneurship, which is I love what I do. 
I think more people need to benefit from what I do. And I really want to be my own boss. I want to talk a little bit more about you and your journey and your relationship with money. But before we do that, let me just remind everybody, Her Money is brought to you by Fidelity Investments. And together, we want to inspire all women to be in the financial front seat. That means knowing what you own, knowing what you owe, knowing how to reach your goals, and having a financial checkup at least annually. From understanding the basics of market volatility and risk to creating an investing plan, Fidelity can help, and you can learn more at fidelity.com slash front seat. We are talking with Jessica Heron, founder and CEO of Stella and Dot. So you said you had your first job at 15. Mm-hmm. What's your relationship with money like today? I have always been very conservative about money and very focused on money as security. So I've always been a saver, uh, an investor. I have never been a big um, lavish spender. I've never lived beyond my means. I've never had credit card debt. And I've never and I and well I said a lot of student loans because I had to pay my way through college by mm-hmm. having jobs. Um, I went to so I started working. I went to community college. Then I transferred to Stanford so I could save money. I left there with debt. I immediately tried you know worked to hustle to pay that off. I day traded when I was at community college really? with my investment account at Schwab and would call the eight hundred number trading Microsoft in order to try to make that money greater in order to pay for you know, higher tuition when I knew I transferred. So I've always been someone who's very focused on, one, I want to pay my own way. I want to be in financially independent, and I want to be prudent. And I've always seen the value of saving and investing. Do you think that attitude of save more, save more, save more comes from your upbringing? Is that is yes. that something that was instilled in you just because you grew up in an environment where there just wasn't that much? Well, you know, it's not just save more, it's invest more. Invest more in myself through my own education, my own abilities, and then take that risk, a calculated risk on me, and make that pay returns. What's that gene, that take a calculated risk on me gene? Where where did that come from? Did you always have My it? dad. It, it was his 80th birthday. Uh, just this last weekend, we toured oh, Connecticut. Birthday. Oh, thank you. Where he grew up in, you know, what is a uh, industrial town in, in Connecticut. And we he took us where he did his paper route when he was nine years old to help put food on the table because his mom was a widow and he was the oldest and you know, man in the family when he was three years old, and she was an immigrant who only had a fourth grade education. So he slept in the kitchen. You know, he literally worked since he was nine to help pay the family wow. bills. And he always grateful, always happy, always felt like he had everything he needed. You know, and he, um, when he was twenty one, which he just took us back to the site where he built a house he to sell. You know, he got saved money to pay for the lot. And I think that hustler, entrepreneur, survivor gene runs in my family and it runs in our core values. You know, we're the type of people that like, don't order appetizers or beverages at a restaurant because it's a waste of money. And we'd rather, you know, we even know now that we have financial security. I still don't like to order appetizers. I like to, I, I still don't like to fly first class. I think it's a waste of money and I'd rather invest it in something that will grow versus something that's just like immediately consumed and not really needed. How do you get the women who work for you as stylists and and other salespeople to flip that switch, to take some of the money Mm -hmm. that they are earning and rather than spend it, invest it? Well, I think that it's, first of all, for women that are in our ethos in our business platform, I'm going to judge success on whether they leave better off than when they arrived Mm -hmm. with more resources, more experiences in their life, and more 
personal development and knowledge because I think that's money that's investment. So even if that woman is spending everything penny she earned, but she's stronger, more capable at the other end, she's a more valuable asset. And I think so often women, especially women who are trying to balance family and work and another career, they underinvest in themselves. And the biggest thing about the gig economy that I am concerned about that I want to actively work in our business to be a part of the solution is if you were going to go work for a corporate career for 25 years, they were going to invest a lot in you. If you're going to yep. go work for GE, you're going to have lots of great corporate development and education because you were a long-term asset and they were going to cultivate that asset. But if you're only going to work flexibly in a gig economy, who's investing in you? I'll tell you who's investing in you. You. <laughs> you need to be the person who's continually developing your own relevance in the marketplace, your own skill set, because it will continue to move and you need to move with it. So one of the things that I want women to do is not just think that they're trying to save in order to save for their retirement, which of course they should, or pay off debt so that they're not, you know, wasting money on interest, which of course they should. I want them to know they need to continually invest in themselves, whether that's focusing on their own mental health, physical health, so that they can be strong and productive at work and home, whether they're learning new things like social media marketing skills, time mastery. So we offer all that as a training platform because that is my number one thing I think women underinvest in. And I love the initiatives like Sally Krawcheck at Elvest and really cultivating you know women as investors. But the first thing I would tell you to invest in is your own skill set. I totally agree with you. My number one money rule was that your job is your most important investment, meaning your earning power. I mm-hmm. mean, you That's have right. to you have to keep that up. But I also think that a lot of people who work for themselves who are giggers don't take the opportunity to put even a little bit of a money little bit aside. Well, I aside. Think they've got to look at that as percentages, right? And come up with some kind of comfortable rule. You know, at our company, we do 401k matching. And it just baffles me that people are not taking, yet 100% of the employees don't take use up on it. And you're Mm -hmm. like, but this is free money. So I try to go to all the people that haven't enrolled and said, listen, I know you might have some kind of hardship here, you know, and so you think you can't afford to take this out. But let's let's talk about that. Let's play this forward. We're literally trying to give you free money and you're saying no. Do you get lattes every day? Can we cut that out? Do you, what are you doing in terms of how you're spending your money. Are you sure you don't want to say no to this, to say yes to something that will build and double and grow? And so I really think it's about talking about it explicitly with people. And yes, you want people to enjoy their life and have simple pleasures and not feel overly guilty. But I do really want people to cultivate that sense of we're building towards a future. Often money is like the last thing that people want to talk about. We're willing to talk about politics. We're willing to talk about sex. We're even willing to occasionally talk about religion. Money's hard. How do you get the women that you work with to the table? We've really connected relationships with our community because we are so mission-driven, and I, I think we relate to each other on a really human level. We're all going, we're vulnerable, we're honest about what it takes to be successful as a business owner. And we talk about that it's challenging and it's hard and you can feel conflicted about your various roles that women play in the world. So then when it comes time to talk about money, oftentimes I find that people talk about it, but they talk about it from a sense of uh, risk aversion Mm -hmm. and a lack of self-confidence. And I want to be really careful there because you are not trying to tell somebody don't make an investment. Because with no investment, you will never have a return on investment. No risk, no reward. So sometimes I feel like the issue is women are too concerned about risking money. For example, investing it in starting a 
side gig or underinvesting because once they get money, they keep all of it versus saying, no, 10% is going to be my growth budget or in personal development budget. I'm going to spend to invest in me. They feel guilty. So they don't yeah. do that. And that keeps them small versus growing. So I think that you have to talk about it and you have to talk about the root. You know, I haven't believed in business to help people grow. You have to water the roots and not spritz the leaves. So if you're only talking about, you know, are you saving, are you investing, you have to really go down to the roots and say, is self-confidence holding you back from investing in yourself? Do you think success is for somebody else and not for you? And that's why you're not doing it. Do you think you're not good enough? Because let me tell you, you are and you can. And if you follow through, it's going to happen. So I think that's really where we find women underinvesting themselves is there's some underlying emotional reason there. Yep. It always comes from the history. And I can 100% understand why all of your consultants and stylists are completely inspired by you because oh, you. I think no I, I think that you you clearly walk the talk and I want to just say thank you for that and thank you for coming in here it's, oh, it's my pleasure and thank you for doing what you do you're doing really important work I'm really grateful for it thank you so much and we'll be right back Kelly has joined me in the studio. Hi, Kelly. Hello. Good weekend. Great weekend. So glad. I love the summer. What's your favorite part about summer? Mm, I eat a lot in the summer. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting you to say that. No, no you know what? We, uh, we were trying to figure out what do we do? We, we go to Long Beach Island on the weekends, as you know. And what do we do in Long Beach Island? We eat. You just eat. We eat. We eat a lot. We eat a lot of ice cream. We eat a lot of Rita's water ice. We just, we eat. We drink. Too. Yeah. Yeah, we I'm, eat and drink. I love doing both of those myself. I love being by the water. And I think I've talked about this on the show, too. But being from a landlocked state, it's still really special for me to be so close to the ocean yeah. and to be so close to, like, just more bodies of water. And that it feels more like summer. Like, and now I'm experiencing these summers that I romanticized in my head growing up uh, that I didn't really necessarily have, which I had great summers. But it wasn't, like, the stereotypical summer where you are going to the beach. Like, yeah. going to the beach is something that you can do. It just makes you really happy. Yeah, it does. And I like getting out on my paddleboard. As you know, oh yes, that's right. She crushed. When we, I did when, not crush when you. When we when we went paddleboarding, she what's a paddleboarding phrase like? Blew I, me out of the water, or like just <laughs> I just don't it even was know. Your first time, it, even still, no, because I also went to Orange Theory with you once, and you kicked my ass on Orange Theory too. So okay. this is this long is long story short. Is jeans in really good shape and much better shape than I not, am? Not not true, but I will take it. <laughs> I will take it. All right, let's go. Okay, my first question is from Christy. I just got accepted into a translation certificate program. I currently work as a paralegal, but have a bachelor's in Spanish, and want to start a side hustle that has the potential to be full-time later on, so I thought translation could be a good idea. The certificate program I was accepted into costs $10,000 for two semesters. Assuming I decide this is worth it, what would be the best way to pay for it? There is no financial aid offered. I have about $12,000 in savings in addition to $75,000 that my parents put aside for me to buy a house, pay for a wedding, or use in some other responsible way. She has responsible in quotes. Should I just dip into my savings or the money set aside by my parents and pay it full right away? Or should I look into a loan or something else? I don't really want to wipe out my savings, and I'd like to have as much money as possible for a down payment on a house one day. But do you think it could potentially be worth it to take out the 10000 now for an investment in a side hustle? 
I think that in light of our conversation with Jessica, this is a fabulous question. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love <laughs> and I love that you're thinking about a side hustle. I would dip into the money that your parents put aside for you. It's not your emergency cushion. Well, you don't want to touch the emergency cushion that is there for emergencies. And it sounds to me like that's what your savings might be for. Although if you've got savings above and beyond what you'd need in an emergency, I would encourage you to invest that money. But this 75000 that could be for something else, a home or a wedding or something else, that's a, that's a future-focused sum of money. And this side hustle that could become something else is a future-focused sort of investment. So I'd say go ahead, use the money. Don't borrow. You've got money. Certainly don't borrow. Use the money for this course. And then as you earn money, replenish the coffers until you get to the point where your original $75,000 is whole once again. Separately, I would encourage you to think about a plan for that money. It's a lot of money, and it's a big opportunity, and you don't want to get 10, 20 years down the road and realize that, A, you've left it just sitting in savings, or B, you missed other opportunities along the way to invest, to build a business, to think and dream in the way that that money would allow you to think and dream, whether it's owning a home or doing something else. So I'd say spend some time thinking about that too. But this sounds fabulous and good luck. And we'll do one from someone who would like to remain anonymous. Okay. I'm on a journey to improve my credit health and just discovered your podcast and I love it. Thank you. My biggest question right now is I have credit card debt on three different cards totaling to about $9,000. I was thinking of combining them either to a personal loan or another credit card that is great for balance transfers with a zero percent APR for at least a year, if not longer. Is this a good idea? What are the pros and cons of each for a case like this? If it helps to know my background, I am a preschool teacher and I have figured out I can afford to put $300 towards this debt every month. Any advice would be great. Okay, this is a really good question right now because there are so many different balance transfer offers out there. And they can give you a good opportunity to get rid of a lot of debt very quickly. However, they come with a fee. Most balance transfer offers, the exception being the Chase Slate one, which I believe does not have an annual fee if you transfer the money within the first 60 days that you have a card. So you're going to want to take a look at that one. Most of them charge you a 3% fee on the balance that you transfer, which eats into the amount of money that you save by paying it off at 0%. I lay this all out there because you said you can put approximately $300 a month against this debt. So I would look at a balance transfer rather than a personal loan because that's going to be a good way to get a very, very low interest rate. But I would only transfer the amount that you know that you'll be able to pay off before the interest rate kicks back up. So $300 times 12 months, $3,600. I'd transfer that much. Maybe that means transferring on one card, transfer the one that has the highest interest rate, make the minimum payments on the others. And then a year from now, once you're done with that, look at doing another balance transfer Mm -hmm. and keep it going that way. 
Okay. Good luck. Yeah. And we'll do one more from Jean, I think. It's J-E-A-N-E. Jean. Jean. Or Jeannie, maybe. Or Jeannie, maybe. Jean or Jeannie. It has been a while since I pulled my credit report. Where would you suggest I go to get a free report with a credit score? So it's tough to get a free report with a free score in one place. Mm -hmm. Actually, I would say go to annualcreditreport.com for your free report. You're eligible to pull one free report from each of the three major credit bureaus there each year. And then as far as the free score is concerned, there are so many places that will give you a free score right now. Savvy Money is one. We do some work with them. You can go to Credit Karma, you can go to credit.com, you can go to bankrate.com. Your own credit cards. Yes, many of your own credit cards will also give you a credit score, but finding them all in one place is a little bit more difficult. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, that is it for questions. Thank you so much, everyone, and thank you, Jean. And thank you. And speaking of credit scores, I recently found out that one of my friends has a perfect score. She wrote about it, actually. What is a perfect score? 850. It's like a really, really good SAT score. It's a nice (laughs) round number. You know, one of the best parts of being a member of the personal finance community is that you get to know other people in the personal finance community. And Washington Post columnist Michelle Singletary woke up one day checked her credit, which, by the way, she says she does all the time, and she saw a perfect 850 staring her in the face, which, by the way, has never happened to me. (laughs) And as she points out in her column, this is not one of life's necessities. As long as you've got a score in the mid to high 700s, you're going to qualify for the best credit deals. But because just 1.5% of U.S. consumers have earned this perfect 850. And she knows this is America where we've got more FOMO than we can handle. She shared what she had done to push her score closer to perfection. And the big aha for me in her story was not that she didn't have any late payments, was not that she had a good mix of credit, was not that she had decades-long relationships with all of her creditors, But the very, very, very slim percentage of her available credit that she was actually using. The advice that we always give is that you want to keep your score high by using less than 30% of your available credit at all times. Michelle Singletary was using just 7% of her available credit. So yeah, 7%. So if this is something that you aspire to, although as I like to say, you are not your credit score, (laughs) that column is worth Googling and looking up. I want to thank all of you today for joining me on Her Money. Thank you to Kelly for producing it and participating as always. Thanks to Jessica Heron, too, for a great conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week when we will be back with another great guest. We'll talk soon. 